0: Today's episode is brought to you by Sephora. They've got clean makeup, meaning the beauty you want, minus the ingredients you do not. We'll explain in a bit, but first, let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. The show might sound a bit different today because we're skimming from three different couches. The skim is working from home for the time being because of COVID 19. So let's get into it. Our guest today needs no introduction. We're excited to have Sheryl Sandberg joining us on Skimmed from the Couch. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Facebook, as well as a best selling author and the founder of the Lean In organization. Her groundbreaking career in tech, along with her advocacy for women in the workplace, has made her one of the most influential women in business and in the world. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Skin From The Couch.
1: I'm so glad to be here. I have to admit, though, I am not on a
2: couch. (laughs) Well, we, we always are voting for a couch, but do what you can do. So before we start, I actually, I was thinking about how we first met you and got connected to you. And I think it's a funny story I wanted to share, which was I think five or six years ago, we were having like a tech glitch and we were trying to set up our Facebook group. And this was the earliest days. And we reached out to a friend of the company and said, do you know anybody at Facebook who can help? And he said, sure. And just added this woman named Cheryl. And I was like, that can't be the Cheryl. (laughs) And sure enough, it was you. You immediately fixed our tech glitch and became somebody who was so generous with time and offering to be there if we had questions as we were going through scaling a business. And um, I I still always laugh at that moment. I remember looking at Danielle being like, am I emailing the Cheryl Sandberg right now? (laughs) So this is a full circle moment for us.
1: Well, I mean, from my point of view... A friend sent me the skim. I loved it from the beginning. It was even before I think he talked to me. I was a subscriber and I just loved it. And then what I saw was two amazing women. I got a chance to meet both early. Two amazing women trying to start a business and I will always try to reach out and help. So I'm glad I did. But it's been nice to know you both and to see the skim grow and to come full circle for me. My daughter is 12. She's in seventh grade. She's actually a very active and good debater but she hasn't quite translated that into like reading as much news as she should. And she, not through me, for so a friend of hers found the skim. No and way. When she finally started reading the news, it's yours. Because I think it's, you know, it's written in a language that she finds more entertaining. So you have helped my daughter debate.
0: Oh, I love great. that. So Cheryl, we're going to start with an easy question. Skim your resume for us college, studied economics at
1: Harvard, worked at
0: the World Bank as a research assistant and on
1: leprosy, went back to business school at Harvard, worked at McKinsey for a year, worked at the Treasury for four and a half years as Larry Summers, chief of staff, went to Google, now work at Facebook. Somewhere along the way, started leaning.
2: It's a good skin. What is something that is not on your bio or Wikipedia page that we should know about you?
1: I don't know what's on my Wikipedia.
2: (laughs) Well, what's like a fun fact or something that's just not not as known about you?
1: I used to teach aerobics for 10 years, 1980s, silver type. Oh,
0: my God. Oh, that is amazing.
1: Like Jane Fonda era and then... Than the step kind. It's so funny. I got $20 an hour, five days a week in college, which was a fortune.
2: I love it. So, we're going to switch gears. And, um, you know, we normally like to start kind of with your career journey, but it's hard to do this interview and not talk about the world that we are all in right now. There's a reason that we're doing this interview remote. We are all dealing with the global pandemic of COVID 19. And I want to start by talking about what you've done at Facebook internally for your employees to to help them get adjusted to the new normal. I think a lot of our listeners right now are either managers or small business owners themselves or working at companies and trying to figure out how to adjust. And you guys have really taken a lead on that. So we'd love to hear from you on that.
1: Yes, we've done everything we can. And I say this knowing that not everyone can do what we can do, right? We are a big company. We are not worried about not making payroll next month. But still, given that, I think we did move very quickly and very effectively. So we, at this point, have every single worker who can be at home at home with a small number of people in critical jobs that still have to go in. You know, think about data centers. We're doing all we can to protect them. And the fact that we've sent everyone else home really helps protect them. We're also paying everyone. We're paying all of our contractors. We're paying all of our workers, whether they can't work because they're sick, whether they can work from home, whether their office is closed. We're paying everyone. But you know, again, we recognize we're a big company. So the other thing we're really focused on is helping small businesses. We announced last week a hundred million dollar fund to help small businesses with cash grants so they can help pay their employees. And we put out a lot of free educational materials where small businesses can get tips on how to move some of their business online. And you know, not every business can move online, but a lot of businesses are, and we're seeing some really amazing and enterprising
2: things happen. Facebook is making a really concerted effort to tackle misinformation, which is something that social platforms and Facebook has struggled with in the past, especially as it relates to elections. Talk to us a little bit about what you guys are doing to target misinformation in a time where everybody is really looking to get the most up-to-date, factual information coming from government officials, coming from medical experts, in a time that has just filled with so, so much uncertainty and fear.
1: That's a really important question. We've long had a policy that misinformation that can lead to imminent harm gets taken down. And I think very early in this crisis, we started partnering with the WHO and taking down any misinformation they thought would lead to imminent harm. We've done that as aggressively as we know how. I think we're also partnering with the WHO, the CDC, health ministries around the world to make sure we get the right information in front of people. At this point, we've directed over a billion people to health resources via our COVID-19 information center. And what we've done, which is pretty aggressive, is we are putting the information that people need to see right at the top of their newsfeed.
0: When you think about Facebook's response, especially the external efforts involving small businesses, it's unfolded pretty quickly as everything has with this. How did you develop a leadership team that can be reactive in the face of such uncertainty? How do you come up with these responses in a way that can actually help people in real time?
1: You know, it's such a good question. I actually think some of the troubles we've had and some of the mistakes we made over the past years, we've worked so hard to correct those and set ourselves up. They're serving us well. So, for example, when you think about harmful misinformation, you know, years ago, we didn't have a policy to take that information down, but we learned the hard way that we needed that. We had that in place. When COVID-19 came around, we already had a system to take down harmful misinformation. So this time, we immediately went to the WHO, the CDC, who's the best in the world so we can decide what to take down. So I think some of the systems we built up to correct the mistakes in the past are serving us really well. With the small business loans, you know, we are in the business of serving small businesses. So that means we've long had an outreach, but it did come together really quickly. I think it was two weeks ago on a Thursday night, and said, we should do this. And I think we announced Monday or Tuesday so we really worked quickly. And again, I, I, we have these amazing teams that are really expert in small businesses. They were hearing directly from small businesses who said, we need cash. That's what we need. We need absolute immediate help. So we had the teams in place in order to get that out the door really quickly.
2: I want to talk about you as just as the individual, like being at the helm of of such a a company that everyone's always watching, and especially in times of crisis, is really in the public eye right now. But in general, like how do you handle stress?
1: Oh my God. I know about myself that I am way, way, way better when I do. And credit to Ariana, my friend Ariana Huffington for pushing the whole world to sleep more. Like if you have baby and little kids, when they get a good night's sleep, everything's fine. When they don't, it's a disaster no matter what you do. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm like that too. And so even I'm working unbelievably hard hours right now. I think everyone is. I really will take the seven hours I need to sleep because I learned that that extra two hours staying up and doing more work in the middle of the night does not serve me well the next day. I am much more productive Exercise. I'm, I try really hard to get exercise. You know, I'm lucky I have a bike, stationary bike in my house. You know, again, I think we've been under a lot of stress at Facebook for a very long time. It's been a hard couple of years. And, and I don't say that feeling that anyone should feel bad for us. They shouldn't. It's on us the mistakes we made. Um, this is a crisis. And we are moving as quickly as possible. We have felt very much under siege. Not quite at this level, but really that we had a lot to choose very quickly for the last couple of years. And again, I think the pace at which we've been working is serving us well during this period.
0: More broadly, when you think about moments of of crisis, and you've mentioned a few that Facebook has been through in the, the past few years, and obviously we're in one globally. What's some advice you have looking back or some mistakes that that you guys made as a leadership team in navigating that. And I ask because Carly and I are in the position as CEOs really navigating a crisis for the first time at a moment where there's mass uncertainty and no one has answers.
1: I think a couple of things. One is to just try to move as quickly as you can to get the core systems in place. I think the second is just remembering that the people around you are really human. I mean, we're all doing video conferences, but I, am, I don't think I'm doing 100% of the time, but I think just a lot more right now than I think we normally do. You know, you don't start every meeting at work when you're all in the office, but how's everyone feeling today? How are your families? I am trying to start literally every meeting that way. And I feel I'm probably hitting 70 or 80%. But I think that moment, and I started, I just started doing it when it happened, but a bunch of people in the company kind of emailed and called me and said, said, thank you for asking. I think the other thing is we really want our employees We're doing this at Facebook. I'm doing this at my foundation. We know like things are different. People have kids at home. Their kids are not going to school. They have to take care of those children. People are under tremendous stress. We've said to everyone at Facebook, we're paying out more than everyone's full bonus because we said, we know you're going to do all you can. We don't want you to feel that regular pressure you feel. And I think when you do that and when you treat people the right way, They're just even more dedicated and they feel, they feel that they're getting the support they deserve. And that's what, that's what people deserve.
0: We are traveling all the time for work and all the one time. <laughs> thing that we are really obsessed with is thinking through what we put on our skin. When we are flying, when we are traveling, when we are on the road in so many places, it's really important that we keep ourselves healthy and we've started to think about what does that actually mean regarding the products that we use on a daily basis?
2: It's also because our skin just looks really bad when we travel. So we love using products that are
0: clean because we like to know now what's in them. And we don't want to actually have to sacrifice the quality. Which I think is a big misnomer when you think about clean beauty. And that's something that we've really started to investigate in. So lucky for all of us, this March, Sephora is raising the expectation on what clean can be. Yes, they have
2: some amazing brands that are clean and thoughtfully made. And some of our favorites are Bite, Ilia,
0: Kosas, RMS Beauty, Tower 28, and Tartsy. So the products are packed with good for you ingredients. They look good and they make you look good. It's great that one of our favorite stores, Sephora, is focused on clean beauty. We really appreciate that. I think that We are part of a generation that's really thinking about what's going into the things we use every single day. And it's great that we can get all the products that we really love without the ingredients that no one needs. Exactly. So
2: time for you to get the best in clean makeup at Sephora online and in store right now. Look for the green seal to know which products are clean at Sephora certified. talk to you about resilience. You wrote your book, Option B, in the wake of your husband's um, untimely passing. And your book touched Danielle and I both in really different ways. And we both really leaned on the lessons of compartmentalizing that you talk about and the muscles of resilience through a lot of different personal challenges over the last few years. And I want you to kind of walk us through what resilience... Has meant to you in the workplace, and what you think it should mean for others in the office?
1: Resilience is our ability to deal with hardship. Everyone's facing that right now, but it is not something you have a fixed amount on that we draw on. It's like a muscle, which means you build it. And I think that that initial insight is so important because when people feel overwhelmed, I've heard people say, "I can't get through this. I don't have resilience. I'm not tough enough." They're like, "Actually." You have some and you're going to have more. The question is, how do you build it? A couple things. You build it by recognizing that whatever you're going through, almost certainly is not permanent. And that applies to the very worst things you go through. You know, the way I felt after my husband died, which was kind of as devastated as I could have imagined feeling. I'm way better now. It's five years later. Now, when people said to me, you're not going to feel this way five years later, I didn't believe them. There are so many people right now who are looking at loved ones potentially about to die, who are looking at situations that are unfathomable. And even the very worst situation, the idea that whatever you're in is not permanent, right? People do not come back when they die. But the way you feel will get better is, I think, a very reassuring thing. The second is, and this is a hard lesson, but remembering that things could be worse. When Dave died, Adam said to me, you know, it could be worse. And I was like, really? My husband just literally dropped out. Like, how could it be worse? He said, Dave could have had aneurysm driving your children. You could have lost all three. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, my kids are alive. So things are really hard right now. So thinking about how things could be worse is a way of feeling grateful for what you have. And that, along with remembering that whatever state you're in is not permanent, our ways of building resilience and the third thing is we don't do it alone it is being there for other people my children and i every single afternoon my kids and i are calling on facetime two people in our family or friends of older people who are home alone so we call the grandparents we call the aunts and uncle and it gives them a moment of giving like rather than worrying about they don't get to see their friends they realize you know grandma, grandma and papa are home alone in florida they can call them and they can feel good about giving to others.
2: Right. Taking a step back from the current crisis that we're in, I want to talk about one of the things that Danielle and I've spent so much time just going back and forth and talking about, which is how to show emotion in the workplace. And I say that as, you know, we are both really private people. And I grew up with sort of the mantra, like, everybody cries about work, you don't cry at work. And I think as a leader now, I've relaxed what that means and what the impact of of that kind of phrase could mean to somebody. And I'm curious, um, as you've grown from, you know, a leader at Google and and into obviously your your role now, how has your thoughts around showing emotion in the workplace changed? And what do you say now to those um, entering the workforce?
1: You know, it's such an interesting question. And it's definitely one that the answer for me and what I did changed over the course of my career. I think the first time I ever admitted I cried at work, I was already at Facebook. The first time I talked about the challenges women faced publicly, I was at Facebook. So I was already the Facebook COO. And even then, I said I cried. It got reported that Sheryl Sandberg cries on Mark Zuckerberg's shoulder. I mean, I was mortified. Uh, with Lean In and with the work my foundation did in the book, and I tried to say, we have emotion, we can show it at work. But it's tricky, and it is definitely easier the older you get. I think part of the answer is we need men to show emotion at work too, right? Because such a big percentage of the leaders are men still, that if it becomes more normal. And while I think we still have a long way to go, God, think about where we are compared to 10 years ago or even 30 years ago, with people really being more willing to show emotion at work. Now, you can't cry every day. You just can't. I mean, I did after Dave died, but for the most part, you can't. But I think moments where we're honest and vulnerable really matter. Mark and I do a thing with our senior leadership team. Whenever we do meetings, we do check-ins. So you check into the meeting. And what we mean is we check in professionally and personally. So here's what's going on for me professionally. Here's what's going on for me personally. And while I think when we first introduced it, it was a little jarring for people now Everyone says that our meeting, the best thing is the check-in. And people have shared just the most personal things, children going through crisis, issues in their home, health issues. And it's really, I think, part of why our leadership team is so strong, because we really actually kind of institutionalize sharing the personal, and part of that has been showing emotions.
0: So talking about Lean In and Women in the Workplace, you wrote the book in 2013. How do you think your advice has held up as workplaces has, have obviously continued to change? Is there anything you look back now and you're like, oh, I would definitely adjust that?
1: Yeah, uh, there were definitely things I would adjust. You know, when I wrote Lean In, I had no idea anyone would read the book. <laughs> and so the first version of the book was just all data. I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> my husband And my editor told me it was the worst book they ever. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "No one's going to read this. You have to put in your story." So I put in my story, but I didn't do a good enough job putting in other stories. So I think one of the main criticisms of "Lean In" is that part of it read as if it was about you know white, black women, because really the only stories in there that came alive were mine. And so "Lean In" for graduates. Added that missing piece and had just more stories, more women of color, more women in different industries. But I do think that some of the things that Lean In has tried to tackle were still on from the beginning. Right? We have a very strong view. I had one in the book. The foundation has a very strong view that more women in leadership would be a pretty good thing. That's just a fact, and I think we we need to do better and we need to do more. We have a very strong view that women have to go for leadership roles and they can't do it alone. We need the systems, we need the policies that enforce that, and we need the support of each other and I think probably the thing that's been the most gratifying that we started at the beginning but it's still going are the lean in, in circles. Small groups of women that meet in person, they now meet via Zoom. Our goal was 1,000, we now have 47,000 in 174 countries. That's amazing. 80% of the women who join circles attribute a positive positive life change to their circle and two thirds say they're taking on a new challenge. And that's because women can't do it alone. The idea of lean in was always that we're going to have to support each other as women. And circles have just been a really powerful way to do them.
2: Cheryl, I'm curious, you know, when I read the book, it brought to light, and not just for me, but for so many, the behaviors that women tend to fall into in the workplace, whether it's use of language or just really like subconscious behavior that stereotypically women um, subscribe to. So I wanna tell you about a situation that Danielle and I found ourselves in in the last few months. We had a meeting with a female mentor and we were telling her you know a business update and you know we were coming off really confident and had a lot of strong opinions about a certain issue and she said to us ladies i just want to tell you like you're coming off really strong and you need to tone it down and when you go into meetings you've got to tone it down and we both left that meeting and looked at each other and we were like that was really effed up, but we didn't know what to say in that moment. And I'm glad that we have the confidence today to know that that was wrong, but I don't think we would have had the confidence a few years ago to think that. How do you think we should have responded? And how do you think our listeners should respond in moments like that?
1: Look, sometimes women are too aggressive. I'm sure sometimes I'm too aggressive, but on average, women are told they're too aggressive much more than men. So when you're in that situation, recognizing that there's inherent bias. And this is important. Women display that too. The first thing is not internalizing the bias, recognizing the bias. That's advice I feel very comfortable giving everyone. When this happens, you should recognize the bias because you will, as you said, Carly, you're going to experience it differently if you realize it's biased. But how to handle it? I don't think you can give generic advice, right? If you've got a very well-meaning manager that you've had many conversations with, someone who's told you, male or female, I think there's bias in the workforce. If I ever exhibit it, please tell me. You can look at them and say, hey, you asked me to tell you, this is that moment. You're trying to raise money for your company, and someone does that in a meeting who might fund you. It's probably, I hate to say it, not your best moment to be like, and you're biased.
0: <laughs> 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 We've been there many a time. Yes. Yeah.
1: But I can say that the more this is generally understood in the population, the easier it becomes for us to surface it in the moment. And look, women still face sexual harassment, you know, really horrible things that happen. But I think with some of the big stuff, at least in most companies, at least you can go to HR, right? You know, the big harassment, the big stuff, there are systems not everywhere, but a lot more than there used to be for dealing with it. But the small everyday things that are the paper cuts that are still really, really, really holding women back, men getting credit for their ideas, getting interrupted more. When these things happen by very well-meaning people, it can be really hard to surface them because that, you can't go to HR that much and be like, I got interrupted again, right? I mean, you could. We let people do it. So trying to set up systems where you can within your company and other organizations, where you can bubble up those things more anonymously so that people can address them, I think is really, really helpful.
0: Before we go into our last segment, I want to ask about something that it feels a little bit off topic uh, in this environment. But I think as we remember that 2020 is the year of COVID, it's also an election year. And one of the things our audience is really, you know, cares about is sustainability and climate change and Facebook has pledged to reach 100% renewable energy in 2020. Can you talk a little bit about that goal and if you guys are on track? We are on track. And I'm really proud of our
1: of our working. Group. So data centers run a lot of energy. Companies like ours use a lot of energy. And for a long time in our industry, how you ran your data centers was a very seriously held competitive secret. Because if you got more efficient, you were cheaper, and that was a cost advantage. It was also better for the environment. I think we were the first company where we open-sourced. We found a way to make our data centers, I think at the time, it was like 32% more efficient. And we open-sourced those plans. So we said to the world, here, we're running more efficiently. Rather than save that as a cost advantage for us, we care about the environment. And we open-sourced those and shared. And that was part of the path of us getting to completely uh, renewable energy. And so I'm proud of the work we've done to help not just our own company, but our community and the tech community be more collaborative, working towards sustainable energy and preventing climate change.
0: So now on to our last segment. It's our favorite lightning lightning segment. So we will ask you a few short questions and just answer as fast as you can.
2: Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. What has replaced your morning commute?
0: Morning stretch. Are (laughs) you a morning person or a night owl? I'm definitely a morning person.
2: What is the last TV show you binge watched?
0: Curb Your
1: Enthusiasm.
2: Oh, that's what I'm watching right now. I'm rewatching all of them.
0: Work from home, productivity hack.
1: I mean, trying to tell my children that they can't come in.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What is something that you do that annoys Mark?
1: Uh, Eat his food.
2: (laughs) Definitely do. I always eat his food. Are you a good cook?
1: I was a good cook. I think a while ago.
2: Are you cooking dinner right now?
1: It's more like heating things up. We're heavily on microwave food right now, but yes, I'm, I'm cooking. I guess you can talk
2: with that. Okay. Last question. Mm, Danielle, what's a good one? Um,
1: what's your shameless plug? Stay home. Everyone who can stay home really should, because I've heard too many people say, well, I'm not going to get sick. That's not the point. Right. The point is are protecting everyone. You are protecting the health workers. My sister is a frontline health worker. She works at the county hospital as a pediatrician. Everyone, some people have to go to work. Some people have to do things like be healthcare first responders. But if you can stay home, please do, because you're protecting the people who have to work and the people who are most vulnerable. I don't even think it's shameless. I'm thrilled to be able to say that.
2: I agree and thank your sister for what she and all medical professionals are doing right now. Well, Cheryl it was such a great time to talk to you. Um, and thank you for being a longtime skimmer and thank your daughter for being a new skimmer.
1: Thank you. It's been great. To, um, give you advice every so often, not that you've needed much, but you set an example for a lot of young women to build their own businesses. And we're going to need that even more than ever. So congratulations.
0: Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of skim from the couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskimm.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot Two M's for a little something extra.
2: Tuesday, March 31st is Equal Pay Day. It's the day that symbolizes the gender pay gap. It means that in order to make the equivalent of a man's 2019 salary, women have to work an extra three months on average. You might think, doesn't the Equal Pay Act mean men and women get paid the same? Well, that's complicated, and we wanted to find out why. To listen to what we found, check out our Skim special on Equal Pay. You can find it by subscribing to our daily podcast, Skim This, wherever you get your podcasts. It'll also be in the Skim This feed.